This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Mass shootings are always shocking and heartbreaking when we think of the victims and their loved ones. And you just heard Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald talking very emotionally about how those feelings, the feelings of victims and loved ones, play into the decisions she has to make as the prosecutor. But these kind of things are also maddening when we think of the inaction and the willful neglect that allowed them to happen on a regular basis in our country. But we're learning here in Southeast Michigan right now that when they happen in our own community, it's really different. There's something about this month's shooting in Oxford that is especially traumatizing and really terrifying. Maybe it's the proximity of the attack to all of our homes and lives. Maybe it's the fact that so many local schools continue to cancel in-person classes because of threats in the wake of what happened in Oxford. But I think it's fair to say we're all hurting in some really different and new ways this December. Of course, the people directly affected by the shooting are experiencing something most of us can't even imagine right now. Imagine this holiday season bearing one of your children because they were shot to death at school. But even beyond that, the whole community here in Metro Detroit is experiencing a level of collective trauma and fear that I think reframes the way we think about all of these things, gun laws, schools, safety, the whole gambit. My next guest is someone who studies violence, especially teen violence and its effects. Dr. Mark Zimmerman of the University of Michigan School of Public Health is also a psychologist who knows about how the human mind reacts to these kinds of events. Dr. Zimmerman joins us now to talk about what we're all experiencing and how we ought to cope. Dr. Zimmerman, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So what effects do these kind of mass shootings have on a larger community like ours here in in Southeast Michigan? I think we're all feeling similar things, but I want to sort of talk about the collective impact of something like this happening so close to all of our homes. Um, you know, before, before I go there, um, if you don't mind, I just want to put this in, in, in somewhat, in some perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm guided by uh, what Albert Einstein once said, and that is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen McDonald was sort of saying that, you know, this, we need to do things that just make sense. It's, it, you know, we, we not to accept the next shooting. Um, and just to get a, a sense of, uh, of the context, and, and it's true that the closer it is, uh, the more traumatic it is, but uh, uh, we have had uh, eight and a, about eight and a half incidents per year from 2000 to 2009, and from 2010 to 2019, there have been almost 22 incidents per year, incidents of uh, mass shootings in schools. So... Um, 
it's the, the other thing that's uh, important to realize that when, when these events like this occur, they are certainly traumatic in, in a broader way because they seem somewhat random. They seem somewhat, we all seem somewhat vulnerable. Uh, but um, most uh, school shootings are certainly homicides, but almost 30% of school shootings are suicides and 4% are suicide homicide combined. So we have to put this whole idea of, uh, of firearms and what we need to do about shootings in a, in a larger context. The other um, point I think that's really important to make is to thinking about um, school shootings as uh, unique to a school. Uh, and while there are certainly certain characteristics about uh, shootings that happen in a school, uh, the, the uh, precursors, the antecedents, the, 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 thing, the, the issues that may predict that event happening in that school often occur outside of the walls of that school. Mm. Now, certainly are things in the school that uh, are relevant, uh, school climate, uh, bullying, and we have climate interventions programs, we have bullying prevention programs, but also social emotional learning for kids. We, we got away from that uh, over, over many uh, several years ago because we wanted to make sure that kids tested well uh, in reading, writing, and arithmetic. And of course, those are extremely important. This is not to minimize that, but it is important to say that social emotional learning is also important how to work with people, how to control your own emotions, how to respond to conflicts, how to diffuse attention, how to cope with uh, different situations are important developmental uh, issues that also need attention. And what better place than, than in a school? Uh, and, and there could certainly be um, ways to integrate social emotional learning in reading uh, and reading comprehension. So I just want to say something about, you know, the, the, the real way to think about um, this, I think, is more ecological. Uh, what happens in the family, and we heard all about that just today and before I did, uh, but parents are responsible for children. And I, I don't want to speak to the legal ramifications of uh, bringing these um, parents um you know, <clears throat> to to court because I'm not an attorney, but as adults, we create the world the kids live in. And and so not only as parents, but as other adults in the community, we need to pay attention to the kind of world we're creating for our, our children. And uh, so I would put that responsibility, a more psychological kind of responsibility and social responsibility on all of us to take uh, some uh, responsibility for what kind of world we want kids to, to live in. Mm. Uh, the, the, the other thing is uh, just around gun storage um, is 74% uh, of, of school shootings, the gun was acquired from home or from a, a relative's home. So uh, I 100% agree with the uh, prosecutor, with Karen McDonald, that... Um, we can make do of lots of common sense things without taking people's rights away about owning a gun and having guns. Um, we were able to reduce a car crash deaths by 70% over the last 30 to 40 years, yep. uh, despite the fact that people have drive more um, 
drive more often, drive more miles. Um, and so we, we have to be able to do the same thing with, our, with firearms. Yeah. So I, I know that didn't directly answer your question, but no, it's, I think okay. it's important for listeners to understand the, the larger context. Also, we know that kids who are exposed to violence in their communities also have uh, negative sequelae that occur, uh, mental distress, uh, fear, anxiety, uh, and those things play themselves out when they go to school. And then you lay on this all these issues, the pandemic, and not having been in school and then coming back to school um, so it, it, it's, there's no simple answers, uh, but we really do have to have the political will to kind of think, uh, create the bold changes that we need to make to, um, to prevent these kind of things from happening again. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter for comments there and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's, uh, start today with Dory in Warren. Dory, what's on your mind? Good af- Good morning. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stephen, for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, sir, for listening from your University of Michigan. Um, first off, I want to say that it is absolutely irrational to charge the parents and charge the young man as an adult. Mm. These he cannot be an adult and blame the parent. You you have to pick which one. Who is responsible? What bothers me the most is I have heard nothing about holding the school district responsible except for civil matters. And quite frankly, I think until we start holding school districts re- districts responsible for, hey, not flagging this kid who was clearly asking for help based on the information released to the public. Um, But based on that little tiny bit of information, Mm. it seems to me that the school district should also, the the administrators, the teacher, I don't care who, but the school district itself needs to be held accountable um, as uh, as contributing to invo- involuntary manslaughter. Mm, that's uh, boy, Dory. That's a that's a really interesting point, and I'm not sure how the practical end of that would even work. But I think that there are a lot of people asking these questions about responsibility, and and your first part here, the question of responsibility for the parents uh, standing alongside adult responsibility for the child is one that I think is really important. I did ask Karen McDonald about that. She she was, I thought, very um, very upfront about separating the two and saying that they don't have anything to do with one another, and that's as a legal matter. But Dr. Zimmerman, I wonder if you can talk about the level of responsibility from a social and, I guess, developmental perspective that we're talking about here. We are talking about some responsibility for the parents, but also adult responsibility for the child. What what, what do you make of that? Well, uh, you know, I, 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 I loathe going down paths that uh, I'm <laughs> not an expert on, sure. um, but, but, let, I, but let, me, let me talk a little bit about uh, the human brain. Sure. We, we do know that the frontal cortex is where most of the if then um, hypothesis generating, the problem solving, the uh, 
uh, basically what we call the executive functioning occurs. We also know uh, from research that the frontal cortex is not fully developed until somebody is about 25 years old. It's a little younger sometimes for, there's a range, but 25, 24 to 26 ish is the area. And um, boys' brains um, develop somewhat slower than uh, uh, girls' brains uh, or young women, young men. So, um, so in that sense, um, you know, uh, are, are we, uh, the question then of course becomes at, at what point do those neurons need to be firing to be, you know, adult enough or not adult enough. And again, that is something that uh, is uh, a legal question uh, that I really can't answer. Uh, so in, in that sense, um, I don't really have a response. I do suggest though that um, we need to help all of us be better problem solvers. I mean, think about uh, when you do go to work uh, and who you work with and, and how we behave with each other. And, and we're all adults, presumably at work. Um, but how many times have we said, is there an adult in the room here? Uh, because of the bickering that might go on or because of how people interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Well, kids see that in their homes. It's, kids see that on television. And so they learn that way. Kids don't, aren't um, uh, born, um, you know, that with, uh, it's more like a, a blank slate because, you know, when we hear a little kid sort of say something cute that's a very adult-like, they're not born to say that. They're hearing it from the adults around them. And it's the same thing with the kind of behaviors. I mean, um, that goes back to the responsibility that we have as adults to help that child um, connect those neurons and, and develop and support them as they uh, test out new things in their lives, as they experience something. My niece once said to me, you know, uh, the difference between you and me when she, when she was in high school, the difference between you and me is you've done it before, I haven't. Mm. And so they're doing it for the first time. Well, if they don't know how to do it the first time, where are they going to get some ideas about how to do that? From television, from their parents, from peers, from other adults in their lives. And um, we also know that kids still pay attention and connect to adults and, and look up to adults of all sorts of different kinds in their lives. And so we have to be conscious about what, what messages are we also sending to those kids. So in that sense, I would say, yes, we are responsible. Um, in this particular case, Again, that's, those are legal questions that I can't really go down. Sure, sure. Um, in, in, with school shootings, and again, the, the prevention, I think, goes beyond the school building. It includes the school building. Schools are in some states are mandated to have school resource officers. We don't have any real evidence whether or not they deter these kind of shootings or not. There are um, uh, some schools have mandated uh, bullying prevention, uh, some and some districts have uh, mandating mandated um, school safety teams. So there there are different ways and things schools can certainly do. And again, the culpability issue is a legal question that I can't go down. But, but there are three events around surrounding a school shooting, and one is all the prevention things that I've been really focusing on as as a public health professor and as the co-director of the new Institute on Firearm Injury Prevention here at the University of Michigan. These are the things we're really trying to focus on is, is preventing these things from happening without interfering with people's rights 
to own um, own firearms in America. We're not going down that path. That is, um, yeah, you know, is just a, a no-win situation. We're trying to use science to focus on uh, what are some of the solutions yeah. um, and seeing what are some of the evidence-based things we can do. It's a very complex problem. There are no simple answers. Um, and uh, and what's, what the other thing that just is interesting epidemiologically, we, we do have a firearm, uh, 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 firearm death uh, rate in America that has surpassed car crashes in 2017. More people are dying from firearms than by um, cars than by crashes. Yeah. Um, so this is a bigger problem than school shootings. School shootings only make up 1% of all firearm deaths. That isn't, doesn't mean we should not pay attention to it. That just means that there, there, it's a complex problem that has, has, is going to have to have lots more research than we've paid attention to yeah. uh, in the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, we, need to take a, yeah, okay. we need to take another quick break. Sure. Uh, and sure. then when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Dr. Mark Zimmerman of the University of Michigan about this. We'll also continue to hear from you, Mike and Wald Lake, Carolyn Royal Oak, Larry in Detroit. Uh, we'll get to some social media comments as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I'm talking with Dr. Mark Zimmerman, University of Michigan Professor of Public Health and Director of the Prevention Research Center of Michigan and the CDC-funded Youth Violence Prevention Center. We're talking about the mass shooting in Oxford at the high school there just a few weeks ago. We talked earlier in the program with Karen McDonald, the Oakland County prosecutor, about the decisions that she's making in the wake of that shooting. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. I want to go to Tony in Oxford next. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hi. So my son is a student at Oxford High School and uh, was there at the day of the tragedy. It's been a, it's been a traumatic couple of weeks, needless to say. Um, I, and I appreciate the guest, guest position on the fact that it's, it's such, a, such a broad topic and there's no easy solution. What I want to say is, is I'm a gun owner, and in my opinion, it was way, way, way too easy for me to purchase my gun. Um, and I think that contributes uh, to the type of situation that we're talking about here. Hmm. So, so talk about what you mean, Tony, uh, when you say that it was too easy for you to purchase your gun. So I walk in a retail store. I follow the steps. Uh, they do the background checks as necessary. And then within an hour or so, I'm, I'm walking out with the firearm. And to me, you know, nobody asks. Uh, any questions? Hey, did I just get fired from my job? Uh, nobody checks with anybody that I know. 
there was no waiting period at all. And, and you know, is, is that kind of thing going to completely solve the problem? Probably not. But if those types of steps were instituted, uh, you know, it might put somebody just a few steps further away from being able to obtain that firearm and, and you know, cause the tragedy like we just saw. Hmm. Tony, I, I really appreciate the call and, and you sharing that experience. And also, of course, our, our thoughts go out to you as you try with the rest of the Oxford community to make sense of what 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 happened. Uh, Dr. Zimmerman, th- this is an example of somebody, a responsible gun owner, saying, look, there's, there's something amiss here that that uh, it's it's too simple to just get our hands on on guns. Uh, yeah, let me just say uh, my my heart goes out to you, and and I, I do want to come back to the, the you asked me in the very beginning about trauma. Mm-hmm. I also talked about just a, a few seconds ago about um, the three aspects of a school shooting, and one is the prevention I talked about. Just so that any listeners who were interested, one of the other two were one was the active shooting, the first responder uh, moment. That's a second part, and then the third part is the trauma mm-hmm. uh, part that. Um, you have you asked me about the, to start the half the half hour. So, um, in terms of responsibility, there are over three hundred million guns in individual um, uh, individuals' hands, individual uh, citizens, not not counting military guns. Uh, and yes, um, most people who own guns are responsible gun owners. Absolutely, um, are there policies that could go get in uh, be in place? that uh, might reduce that. We have uh, what's called ERPO or red flag or uh, ERPO stands for extreme risk protection where if somebody is a risk to themselves or others, we don't know how they work. Uh, 20 or so states have what those, we don't know how they're implemented. We don't know if they're implemented the same in, a, in a one jurisdiction or another <clears throat> within the same state with the same law. So evaluating those kinds of strategies uh, is something that uh, I think we need to invest in as a society. Uh, For 30 years, the the federal government wasn't even allowed to really fund firearm research. That's been lifted. Um, uh, I think after it was after the Sandy Hook uh, and then the Parkland shootings, Mm -hmm. um, Congress has allocated $25 million to do some research to um, the, the research that we spend on, on cars is um, uh, the, the amount pales uh, is, is so much more. Uh, we've spent billions and that's what's going to take. There's technological solutions. There's um, testing out different kinds of, um, of policies. There's behavioral trainings. We don't even know what are the best gun safety training uh, strategies. We know pretty well what are useful for helping a kid learn how to drive a car. Uh, and we focused on on kids because it's the first time they're driving, and we know that that's the time where most car crashes occur at, in the younger ages. So the similar kind of thing. We we definitely need more research, and I I know that's very frustrating for listeners to hear, but um, but we we really need to invest in this. And I think it's going to take gun owners mm-hmm. to realize that, that that research is not a threat to their right to own a gun or to uh, responsible ownership. And I think we need people like your uh, the caller to sort of say, you know, we need to we need a, a, a we need to speak out as as citizens to say um, we can't be held hostage anymore. This is something that isn't political. It isn't right or left. It isn't Democrat Republican. This is about the safety of our society, 
safety of our families, safety of our children and our communities. Um, and when we're ready to do that is I think when when those changes occur. And and it's kind of like seatbelts. When they first came out, nobody wanted to wear them. Right. And now nobody gets in a car without them. Yeah. So uh, let me just quickly say, if I have two minutes. Right. Can, we were actually out okay. of time, unfortunately, okay. right. Dr. Zimmerman. But, right. but I'm really Thank grateful you. for the time that you were able to give us today. Really great Thank uh, you. insight. Here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow when we're going to kick off a series of conversations looking back at 2021 with a look at the year in COVID-19 news and developments. I want to say to the callers who are still on the line, go to Twitter and put your comments there. There's a really active conversation going on about uh, today's show. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.